1: This is a crowd
0: podcast. You've never seen anything like Ben Holyoke. Lords is the home of cricket. It's soaked in history. A stage that's seen every hero, villain, and drama. At Lords, every new star joins a constellation two centuries in the making. It's hard to shine, to make a mark, but the old place has never seen anything like young Ben. It's the 25th of May, 1997. Late spring sun, ripening heat in the rays, a full house. A young man ambles to the middle. He wears a blue helmet. His jumper hangs loose off his shoulders. He gives the umpire a thumbs up. England's number three batsman. Ben's just 19. He's making his debut. All around him are Australia, the best in the world. They'll win in the next three World Cups. Bowlers with pace and swing, venom and spin, Cunning and malice. Ben's fresh meat dropped in the cage. But they've never seen anything like Ben. He doesn't play like any other Englishman. His shots aren't from the textbook. They're the doodles of a prodigy. Ben doesn't think about it. He doesn't worry about footwork, about history, about the opposition. Instead, he relies on keen eyes, supple wrists and a gut feel. He plays it how he sees it, and how it works. Ben clips cuffs and punches the ball to all corners. He carves out the world's best bowling attack. He hits 63 runs off just 48 balls. 50 of those come from boundaries. He gets a standing ovation. He's the next big thing, the new Botham, the kid prince of English cricket. The one who will turn the team from the butt of jokes into the pride of a nation. But after that sunny day, no one sees anything quite like it ever again. This kid who is set to shred record books barely makes the small print. The figures are tiny, compared to his mammoth talent. He only plays two tests, 21 days. Ordinary batting averages Extortionate bowling figures And there's more Numbers that don't appear on any scorecard Numbers that matter more Miles per hour Models of sports car Whether there are millimetres of rain on the road or Milligrams of alcohol in his blood How Ben, still only 24 Dies on a slip road on the other side of the world. So many numbers, but none of them an answer. What it was, what it still is, and what could yet have been. Because still, you've never seen anything like Ben Holyoke. Ben's story starts at another England-Australia match it's 10 years before and 10,000 miles away. Sydney, 1987. Ben's nine rather than 19 and an Aussie rather than an Englishman. As he sits in the sun-bleached stand, he makes a bet. He predicts Australia's top batsman will make a century. His young friend disagrees. So they decide the stakes. <laughs> an ice cream for whoever's right. The batsman's eye is well in. The scoreboard ticks over, a bat is raised in celebration, and Ben wins his bet. He triumphantly licks his ice cream and revels in England's suffering. Ben was born in Melbourne, brought up in Perth, but more than an Aussie, Ben's a Holyoke. The family move about regular long-haul switches, chasing his dad's engineering job. Australia, Hong Kong, England. They never stay long enough for young Ben to settle, to really feel he belongs anywhere. But Ben knows where home is. Home is alongside Adam. Six years is a big age gap. When Ben's two, Adam's eight. Five and 11, eight and 14, 12 and 18. It should be a gap that keeps them apart. Interests that never quite align, never quite match up. But as they move about, a brother is their only constant. Adam looks out for Ben, Ben looks up to Adam. Protection from one, adoration from the other. Two young men bonded tight. Them against whatever part of the world they have pitched up in. They're different though. Adam's a fighter, he has to be. Their mother's half Indonesian. You can see Adam's heritage in his face, in his skin. Adam goes to school in Ballarat. It's an old gold rush town, and some of the attitudes haven't moved on much since. Immigration's a hot topic. The plight of the Aboriginal Australians is another. As the kid with the darkest skin in his class That history weighs on Adam. He responds to playground taunts with punches. Every week he's in a scrap. His father's called in to see the headmaster. Another boy's finger was almost severed in a fight with Adam. But Adam is unapologetic. If the other kid tries to fishhook him, he gets what's coming. Another time, some boy still bends ball Then 12-year-old Adam wades in, his brother's protector. He swings furious haymakers, and he takes a few himself. Ben's easygoing, calmer, laid back to the point of horizontal. Maybe when you have a brother like Adam, you can afford to be. He has time for everyone, a smile that really leaves his lips, a self-confidence that doesn't need to shout. After Adam's noise and fury, Ben glides along in his wake. That's the way it works. The yin and yang. Their love of sport, of competition, is the same, though. Backyard games of Aussie rules jumping, catching and kicking till the sun dips low. Games of table tennis stop at 18 all each point suddenly too important the celebration and the despair too much. And most of all, cricket. Their father played a bit. His sons play a lot. Knockabouts on lush Hong Kong outfields, age-grade games on parched Australia pitches, net sessions at smart English public schools. You see, the surroundings change, but The brothers don't. Adam plays like he lives. A whirlwind of aggression and intimidation. He learns cricket just as the Australian team hits on a new ethos. Mental disintegration, they call it. Keeping your opponent under relentless pressure. Always, and by whatever means necessary, play hard, talk big, show no mercy. It's cricket... Full of swagger, sweat, and testosterone. Full throttle effort and incessant sledging. Each new batsman is welcomed with questions about their technique, about the size of their waistline, about the state of their marriage. It's all fair game. All leverage to distract a batsman, to turn a match. And that's Adam. All snarl, growl, and gamesmanship. Ben is different. He makes the game look easy. He floats above the fray. He doesn't dirty himself with the muck slinging. He quietly gets on with business. He bats with grace. He bowls off a gentle trot. In the field, he moves like mercury. Quick, smooth, ready to unleash a dead-eyed throw. Two brothers, two styles, leaving different impressions and setting different expectations. Adam feeds it. When others ask, he tells them, Ben's more talented. If you think I'm good, where do you see my brother? And it's true. But their different personalities are exaggerated. People pigeonhole them. Adam has to put the effort in. He must be making the most of his ability. His achievements are down to hard work and a tough mindset. For Ben, it comes easy. His class is clear, there's a supreme natural ability. That's what people say. Which doesn't really matter when both are doing well, but when Ben isn't, it makes things harder. Is he making the most of himself? Is he wasting his ability? Is he tough enough? Does he care enough? You'd never ask those questions of Adam. There's something in the air that day when Ben makes his England debut. In some ways, his England call-up's a surprise. Ben's only in his second season of county cricket. He's only played a handful of games. Surely he needs more time. He's England's youngest cricketer in nearly half a century. But England's cricket's in a delicate state. By 1997, it's been through traumas. Defeats leave it scarred and scared. They've lost four straight Ashes series to Australia. They were bowled out for 46 by the West Indies, their lowest total for more than 100 years. Their captain, a Cambridge man, was caught rubbing dirt into the ball, ball tampering. Australia know what they stand for, hard men, playing hard and winning at all costs. England? Well, what are England? Gentlemen playing a gentler game from another era? England are an identity crisis. But that day, as Ben strides out onto the Lord's outfield, something's changed. Three weeks before, in the same city, another young man went on a significant walk. Tony Blair is 43. He strolls into Downing Street on the morning after his election as the youngest British Prime Minister since 1812. Outside the black front door, in front of flag-waving supporters, he promises a tired country, new purpose. That morning in a haze of euphoria, alcohol and spring sun, it all seems possible. Blair's a natural frontman. The lead singer of a rock band in his student days, he radiates confidence. He's progressive, fearless, forward-looking. The recessions at home, the confrontations in Europe, they're left behind. Blair's predecessor was more of a cricket fan, a regular at Lords, but it's the spirit of Blair that brings Ben into that England team. Things can only get better, and in Ben, the selectors, catch the mood of a nation. They choose youth, a new start, a belief that Ben, a global mix of blood, breeding and background, can carry England into the new world. The captain tells Ben to express himself. But Ben needs directions, literally. He almost gets lost on the long walk from the dressing room to the crease. But when he gets there, Ben's at home. Glenn McGrath, The sharpest shooting seamer around. The best bowler in the world wants to get into him. Instead, Ben crunches the ball straight back past him. The crowd gasp at his audacity. The commentator purrs over his technique. Next ball. McGrath sends a bouncer whistling past Ben's ear, A warning shot. Ben just keeps attacking. He keeps scoring runs. In one over, he hits McGrath for three boundaries in four balls. The final one is a glorious heave over the Australians. McGrath's rattled. As he walks back into position, someone in the crowd says something. McGrath sticks up his middle finger. For once, it's the Aussies who feel the pressure. Next up, Shane Warne. A spinner with more rip and breaks than Bondi Beach. But here's Ben's finest moment. Worn bowls. Ben takes a big step forward, drops to his knees and takes a mighty swish. You don't see what happens to the ball. It's all too fast as Ben's wrists snap into the shot, but you hear it. A crack like a bull whip. And then all eyes turn to the blue North London sky. Some of the Australians might spot the red ball streaking over their heads. None of them bother running for it. It finally returns to earth, deep among the England fans in the stand. They're on their feet, arms aloft. Six. Ben is eventually out. He isn't England's top scorer. But his blitz counts for more than 68 runs. Its effect is bigger than that. The crowd funnel out the ground, and all the talk is of Ben. The next day, the country's biggest newspaper says this. Ben Holyoke made the most sensational entry into international cricket since WG Grace stopped shaving. Batsmen have scored centuries in their first test. Bowlers have taken five wickets, but nothing quite like this. Holyoak's dazzling, breathtaking assault will linger forever in the memory of all who witnessed it. Ben, all cheekbones and easy charm in the post-match interview, is a new saviour. A pin-up to compete with football's Spice Boys. A teenage sensation to win new fans at home but a talent to take on all comers on the pitch. The outsider who will put the backbone back into English cricket. That's the dream. That's when everything seemed possible, but no one stopped to consider that other possibility. What if rather than Ben changing English cricket, English cricket changes Ben?
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez.
0: What if the doubts and the doom are too deep? What if Ben can't chase away the gremlins? What if they come for him instead? By the end of the summer, Ben and Adam are fast-tracked into the England test team. Australia have won the last two matches easily. Another defeat and the Ashes will be gone again. The selectors bank everything on the brothers. The mission? To jumpstart a flatlining England side. But England are beyond salvaging. Ben scores 30 runs across two innings. It's underwhelming. He it takes a couple of wickets, but the Australians help themselves to plenty of runs. He's still only 19. But England selectors decide they've been too hasty. Maybe Ben's not ready, not yet. They drop him down to England's second string side. He needs to prove himself in the county game. Ben's confidence shrinks. He's been shuffled onto a smaller stage. The carefree hitting turns, glitchy. His bowling stutters. He starts playing with his head instead of his heart. He second guesses his instinct, entertains the doubt. What if they're right? What if he is too young? Too raw, what if his talent isn't enough? What Ben needs is a show of faith, a vault of confidence, a renewed license to express himself. What he gets is one more shot at Test cricket. His final innings ends with a duck and, age 20, he walks off, never to return to the five-day game. He plays another 19 one-day internationals, but never scores as many runs as he did in his first. Ben waits for a recall. He waits for a return. But what he can't know is there's a revolution coming. English cricket has a problem. Core Britannia has left it behind. Michael Owen is football's shining star. Johnny Wilkinson's rugby's perfect 10. And Ben, the new Botham, Cricket's own young figurehead for a new millennium? He's playing the provincial circuit, producing odd bits of brilliance in county cricket's dozy backwaters. English cricket hasn't got a mainstream star. It doesn't have a face, so it changes the format instead. They come up with a new one-day competition. Instead of the usual 50 overs, each side gets only 20. It's less than half the amount of cricket. But at least double the entertainment. It's called 2020, and it flies. Batsmen play like they're back in the playground, swinging big, living off their wits. The after-work crowd loves it. It's cricket at warp speed for a society short on time, for an audience who wants shock and awe, not nudge and nurdle. It spreads fast. It gets glitzy. There are cheerleaders, fireworks, light up stumps, players mic'd up to the commentary box. There are leagues in South Africa, Australia, the Caribbean, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and most of all, India. Because India is where 2020 really turns it on. There's more than a billion people in India with a burning passion for cricket and an economy hitting hyperdrive. They've got a statement to make to the world. It's the Indian Premier League. Celebrity-backed teams draw huge crowds and the best players. The tournament is shown around the world, and the stars earn millions of dollars. It's the perfect game for Ben. One where his pure hitting is gold dust. One where his charm and looks propel him to the A-list. One where he can escape back into the moment where he can revel in the joy of the game again. But it's also one he'll never know. The view's spectacular, 33 floors up, and Ben looks over Perth's bright lights and the dark expanse of the wide Swan River. The city's growing. Every year when Ben returns, it's got bigger, bloated. As iron's mined in the outback, money streams back into the city, into places like this. In front of Ben, on the table, is starched white linen and glittering glassware. Around the table, in the revolving Skyline restaurant, Is his girlfriend, his brother Adam, Adam's wife, their sister Ebony, her boyfriend, and their parents. It's an annual tradition. A farewell meal. Adam and Ben are about to fly back to England. It's March. The cricket season on the other side of the world will start again soon. The conversation, at least between Ben and Adam, is about... Another sporting event. A lot of people are talking about it. You can't ignore it. In New York a few weeks earlier, a press conference for Mike Tyson and Lennox Lewis ended early and in chaos. Tyson went after Lewis. Lewis punched Tyson. Tyson bit Lewis. There were scuffles, shouts, swearing, chaos. There was blood. Now, there's bad blood. And the two heavyweights will meet in the ring in June to settle it. It's a fight the world will watch. But Adam, who still loves a scrap, won't settle for a pay-per-view screen. He wants to be ringside. He tells Ben he'll make it happen. He'll get them tickets. They'll go together. And he doesn't let up. Around the table, there's excitement about the baby Adam and his wife are expecting. Ben jokes, insists that Adam names it after him. Shortly after midnight, the group finish their desserts and pay the bill. The four couples hug and climb into four different cars. Ben and Adam live less than a kilometre apart in Perth, but the brothers take different routes. Adam parks up, gets in the door, and ten minutes later, his mobile buzzes. It's his dad. He's desperate. Ben, who they said goodbye to an hour ago, is gone. Nobody knows quite how it happens. There are no skid marks on the road, no sign Ben was going too fast. Ben wasn't drunk. The route was one he knew, but somehow he lost control. His black Porsche spun, tore through a fence, slid across a pavement, and hit a brick wall. He died at the scene. Locals say the corner's tricky. It's a slip road. Cars coming off the freeway go from 70 miles per hour to a 25 mile per hour limit. There was a shower earlier in the day. In Perth, where rain rarely washes away splashes of oil, even a little moisture can turn the tarmac greasy. Those details stay in Perth, but Ben's death doesn't. When you move as much as he did, when you move people like he did, news travels. Drips of oil and spots of rain in one hemisphere cause waves of sadness in the other. In South London, Ben and Adam's Surrey teammates meet in the dressing room. They all decide to book on the next flight to Perth, to be with Adam, to grieve for Ben. England's test captain breaks off the team's tour of New Zealand and flies in to pay his respects. As England fans hear the news on radio, television, a few on the internet, they make another journey. Their memories rewind five years. Ben plays again. All loose limbs and easy swings, smashing Australia's best around Lords and it's left to Adam to find the words that accompany Ben on his final journey. To give that famous image a human dimension. He stands in front of the congregation. His sunglasses hide his eyes, but not his tears. He gives the eulogy, his words cracking, weighed down with pain. This is what Adam says of his brother. He was too cool to get old. I can't imagine Ben as anything other than beautiful, strong, athletic, handsome, energetic, vibrant, powerful, and noble. He lived every second of his 24 years, how he wanted to live them, doing what he wanted. Finally, he reads out a letter. It's written to Ben in the days after his death. Little bro, Adam reads, of every person I have ever met. If I was anyone, I would be you. And of course, a little bit of him is Ben, and a little bit of Ben is him. Each formed the other. When you're as close as the Holy oaks, it's inevitable. Three months later, Justin Timberlake, wearing a knitted beanie hat, walks into a 20,000-seater arena in Memphis. He's not the headline act, not tonight. Neither is Wesley Snipes or Tom Cruise or Donald Trump, a loudmouth business guy. They're just the audience, because tonight is Lewis V. Tyson. Also in the crowd, not quite ringside but, not far back, is Adam. He sits on his own. There's a seat next to him. It's paid for. Tickets cost more than $1,000. And Adam bought two, but the seat's empty. People shuffle up from the cheaper seats. Can they sit there? They ask. Is it free? Each time, Adam politely but firmly tells them to keep moving. The bell sounds. The fight starts and Tyson comes out throwing wildly. Lewis picks him off with long, looping jabs. By round eight, Tyson's weak. The menace is gone. Lewis lands a heavy right hand. Tyson slumps to the canvas and stares up at the ceiling. Adam's on his feet with the rest of the crowd. It's noisy, whooping, hollering, jeering, and yelling all round, all except next to him to his side, in the middle of all the commotion. There's silence, a gap. It's a private tribute to Ben in the most public place. Those cheers and that silence are for the boy he fought for, for the brother he loved, for a cricketer no one had ever seen the like of before. This episode of Death of a Sports Star was written by Mike Henson and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell's Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Charlie Frost. For research, we used the archives of Wisden, The Daily Telegraph, The Guardian, The Sun and The Sunday Times. We watched BBC Sport footage of Ben's one-day debut against Australia. The music we used is from our partners BMG Production Music. If you enjoyed this episode, there are more you can listen to. Try the story of Hansi Kroenje, the South Africa captain, who was backed by Nelson Mandela, but conspired with match fixers. Or maybe Philip Hughes, the Aussie batting prodigy, who seemed set for stardom before one ball changed everything. And we have another series called Death of a Rockstar, which is about Freddie Mercury, Amy Winehouse, Michael Jackson, and more. Check that out by searching for Death of a Rockstar in your podcast app. Thanks for listening.
1: Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now
0: to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform, or head to EvergreenPodcast.com and get ready to join us. I'm launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social
1: media at Pit underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle Podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial a veteran of the paddle tennis world and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle or padel as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players